This is Carl Palachuk, and you're listening to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Hi, this is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. This is not the Killing It podcast, even though I have Ryan Morris here, who is one of the hosts on the Killing It podcast. So uh, just a note for folks who uh, are tuned in, this is brought to you by the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. So please, if you have not checked it out, wander over to smallbizthoughts.org and check out the community. Lots of amazing stuff going on there. And this is the time to be buying your education in bulk. So uh, check us out. So now Ryan Morris, I don't want to insult you because, you know, I know you're younger than me, but it's only older people in our community who remember how you got started in this community. And the younger people have no idea who you are. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on Ryan Morris and the Morris Management uh, Agency? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me join in. I, I, I will say, when I got started in the channel community, I, I was one of those younger folks, right? I, uh, I, I'm not actually old yet, but I've been <laughs> doing this for more than 25 years, right? I, I remember being a kid in the industry and just, uh, I often say to my own kids as they're going through school and trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, my philosophy is you'll find it, right? Because what I do for a living now literally didn't exist when I was in college. Oh, yeah. The industry had not yet emerged. The channel was just barely a concept, right? And as we came into it, I found that the structure of go-to-market strategy and the value chain of interdependent communities, that to me, it's like a chess game, right? I find it to be absolutely fascinating how it works and how to make it work better. So I got started years ago. Actually, in fact, my my genesis in this industry, I, w- I actually worked for vendor companies doing channel programs and channel sales. Then I moved into an agency consulting side of things from there, I actually spent a good season at the iPad organization, if you guys are familiar with them, on the uh, what's now called the channel company side of things. Ran the consulting practice there for five years and got a really good understanding of what happens from the vendor side, from the partner side, and back in. And then uh, literally got notified yesterday on LinkedIn that I've been, congratulations, you've been in your own practice now for 10 years. And uh, that blows my mind, but that (laughs) was a rapid decade since I left the iPad side. Yeah, I I hope I never get something that pops up and tells me how long I've been doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like... Thanks. Now yeah. I'm done for the day. Now I really feel old. So, uh, so, so you're really good at the strategery side of things. Like, how did that come about? Did you go to school for business management or, you know, like, because you seem to have a very strong business sense in, in, in a way that a lot of people don't. It's not just knowledge of, of facts or or a theory about this or that, but but you your your first reaction is to go deep into things and understand a layer below what everybody else is talking about. You know that. Thank you very much. I in fact I think that that is what makes this a good 
gig for me, right? My brain naturally thinks in systems and approaches things from a process and method point of view, but every process is effective for a reason, right? And that reason has to come from strategy. Uh, my, my education, actually, I, I majored in uh, communications with my emphasis in public relations, <laughs> not the deepest big so business BS. thinking degree. So you have a BS in BS. Exactly, right? Like <laughs> as, my, as my mother still tells everybody when she tries to explain what it is that I do for a living after all these years, her description is, well, I think that he talks for a living and, and that's reasonably accurate, right? Yeah, that's not bad. That's not too far off of, of what I do, but I, I actually come at it from kind of, you know, like we, we've talked in the past about, you know, one of the big gaps that we see in the channel is small businesses that don't have a written business plan, right? Like on paper with rationale backed up by numbers with, with some understanding of the environment in which you live. That's a big problem for the industry, but that's exactly where like my default thinking process begins. If you tell me what's going on out there in the world, I want to understand well, what's the context of the marketplace that you are in? What are the uncontrollable factors like the economy and like uh, you know some of the uh, regulatory environment? And then what can a company do to optimize their position inside of that? I, I find that that's what's missing. But what I also learned is that, you know, as much as I spend time teaching other people that I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable to being persuaded by my own strategy thoughts. <laughs> and so for about the last 10 years, what I've forced myself to do is to say, whatever you figure out on the strategy side, whatever you think is the right way to analyze, you must force yourself to then answer the question, and then what will we do about that? And that's been honestly the reason that we've been successful and able to hang around for a decade in this practice is that it's that kind of connecting point between why things are happening the way they are and what you should do about that, that then turns into, okay, well, how do we get that done? Because right. I think well, and strategy without action points, is much. Those connecting points are sometimes very difficult because every single thing changes all the time. So if you yeah. learned a lesson working for a vendor about how to move to the cloud 10 years ago, skip ahead a bit. How does any of that relate to the reality of yeah, the environment a, that we're in today? See, that's an extremely good point, right? Uh, we, we spend our, in our business, we've always kind of noticed just by default a few years ago. And then once we noticed it, we started really leaning in and doing it on purpose. Year after year, without really deliberately doing this, what we found is that our business is almost exactly a split between working in the vendor world, working in the partner world, and then working in the distributor world right? Almost literally a third, a third, a third of our business breaks down that way. And it, it, again, it's not because we went out and said, I want to do that on purpose. But what it gives us is not just an understanding, right? Like we've worked with literally thousands of partners all around the world, kind of talking strategy and business model and how do you add a cloud practice or a service business. Uh, we've talked about those things and we understand from, from seeing many different examples, 
you can find models and repeatable patterns, right? And you can go, okay, I see where you're coming from and I can quickly understand where you might need to go. But at the very same time, I see it from the other side of the table and I can legitimately say, okay, so when you're talking to a vendor, this is how they think about you. This is how you can get their attention. And this is what they might say about you when you're not already in the room, right? And, and then that goes in both directions. And the ultimate takeaway to your point is technology changes, business models evolve, but the financial structure of revenue minus cost of goods equals gross margin, that is constant and universal and it translates into every language on the planet. And by approaching things from not, I'm an expert in technology, how do I package that profitably, but I'm an expert in business. How do you apply those concepts to the world of technology? There are some lessons that literally never expire. Right. So what do you think are the, probably the, let me just ask you two sides of this question. The biggest mistakes made by vendors and the biggest mistakes made by partners. Yeah, that, well, because both make mistakes, right? <laughs> and, and we learn about those mistakes by seeing the opposite examples, right? Like you, you wouldn't realize how ineffective most vendors are at engaging partners until you see one who does it very well, right? right. And, and it's the contrast that makes you go, oh, wow, that's much better. And by the way, it's not rocket science. It's not well, that hard. Why why doesn't everybody I think we do all agree on the ones that do it really well. Like yeah. if I asked you to name the top three vendors who do it well, you and me and Dave and like half the people listening would come up with the same three names. Yeah. I mean, you, if you said list your top 10, I guarantee there'd be five overlapped in each of those. It's learnable, right? I think honestly, the single biggest mistake that vendors make dealing with partners is in engaging them at a product transactional level instead of at a practice development or biz dev level, right? Like if you want me to be a reseller in your world, then what you need to understand is how does what you sell complement other things I already do and allow me to build a business practice that can sustain and actually make a margin. If all you do is approach me as like I'm a grocery store and you are a product on my shelf and you want to sell through a few additional units. I don't have time in the world to listen to all those pitches. I can't imagine paying attention to all the people that might approach me as a partner and, and I'm just literally going to ignore you. And yet that's the default position. Like I am vendor, you are dealer, you will resell units of my stuff. Well, I, I mean, I get that. 25 years ago, that actually was but the How much of that model. is due to the partners who respond to it, right? When a, yep. when, it, when a vendor comes out and says, let me show you a business model that'll make you rich. And then they come out and say, let me show you a filter that'll get rid of 7% more spam. <laughs> they get the engagement on the statistical horseshit. Instead uh -huh. of the business model that will actually make you rich. You are exactly right. And that's the thing, right? To answer the other side of that question, the biggest mistake that partners make is that they are technology first, business later, not even second or third, just kind of later down the list. And if they were 
business early, right? And I'm not even saying, you know, stop being a technology person because that's who we all are, right? Uh, You, me, everybody we know in this business. What I always like to say is we work in technology voluntarily, right? And I'm not in this industry because I think it's the only place where business strategy is, is interesting and applicable. I do it because I'm a geek and I'm fascinated by technology and I find hardware and software and the interplay of systems to be actually very, very interesting, right? Like I sat in an event two months ago when the world was still having events. Um, I, I sat in an event and listened to uh, a manufacturer who operates at like the chip and board level in our industry, talking about architectural things in terms of the way that they allocate on board memory channels. And it freaking fascinated me. I, I mean, literally everybody in the room was going like, yawn, why are you talking about this stuff? And I was like, oh yeah, this is the good stuff. Bring it on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we do this business because we think it's interesting. So don't ever abandon what you think is your core purpose for being here. But immediately after being fascinated with technology, you actually have to approach it from a business point of view. And tied directly to that, we find that way too many partners just never, not only do they not get proper credit for the value they add in the go-to-market process, they literally don't even ask for the recognition or compensation for the value that they add, right? The default answer is, well, you know, I work with these vendors and their programs are hard and it's really complicated and I don't know how to do it. And I know I qualify for things like, you know, MDF or demo units or whatever, but gee, that's hard. I'm not even going to do it. I, holy cow, that's cash money. Please don't leave it on the table. Find ways. The way we describe it is manage up the channel, right? Like you are the point of contact between that vendor and their end user. It is incredibly valuable for you to sell to the customer, but it is equally necessary that you sell in both directions and also actively engage those vendors. One of the questions I always ask when we start engaging with a partner, it's like, where do you get your new business leads from? Like, what is your number one, number two, what are your sources of new opportunity? 15 years ago, the number one or two answer was always, well, I get referrals, I get leads from my vendors, right? Uh, I get referrals from my install base and I get leads from my vendors. One of those was in the top two in, in every single case. These days, I ask, do you still get leads from your vendors? 94% of the time, people go, oh, I never get any leads. There's no leads. Nobody ever gets any leads. You want to know what? There's more leads coming from vendors today than literally ever in our industry. They've got more to and through marketing programs. They have marketing qualified and sales qualified lead generation programs. It is literally a bigger budget program today than it was 20 years ago. It's just that those leads don't get just sprinkled like dust on the channel at large where they say, everybody come and get some and go see what you can do. They are hyper-focused in terms of if you are somebody that I know I trust and you are invested in this business relationship, I will give you a lead. And if you follow up on it, 
I'll give you another and another and another, right. and it will become a constant flow. And over time, what happens is more leads than ever go through fewer partners than ever. Yep. If you don't presently get leads from your vendor partners, it's because you're not managing them. So is that largely a matter of not being good at sales? And so as a result, you get 10 leads, you follow up on none of them, you make no sales, somebody else gets 10 leads, they follow up, they get nine sales, they get all the re leads after that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the first mechanism that happens is just the performance metrics. But the deeper answer is, no matter how good you are at that selling process or engaging and converting those leads, you have to stand on a table and insist on taking credit for those things or else they will forget that you are out there, right? It, no, if you are a regional systems integrator and you have 500 employees and you do a few billion dollars in revenue, programs exist for you. If you are like most of us and it's fewer than 10 employees on your staff and radically lower annual revenues, even if you're really good at what you do, they gave you two leads, you turn both of them into engagements and opportunities, that's 100% conversion rate. But it's still only two and a regional marketing director is going to be like, I'm looking for a big hit. I want to find somebody who can give me many conversions. You will fall through the cracks in these vendor programs because uh, one of the related mistakes that I think vendors make is what I call top-down math, right? Like I have a thousand partners and I need to do a thousand deals this quarter. So I can't ever get 1000 partners to each do one deal and then meet my number. So what I'm looking for is one partner to do a thousand deals and screw everybody else, right? <laughs> uh, that's, that's their default position. They're looking for clusters and for efficiency. The long tail of the channel, who most of us are, right? Uh, most of the long tail will never proactively be engaged by a vendor. They do what they call, you know, non-touch partner management strategies right. or distribution allocation well, strategies. Well, the, the vendors are trying to maximize their dollar spend. Absolutely. Right? And a one to many is always the way to do that. So, so what, what can partners do? I mean, cause it seems to me one of the things is your strategy as a partner has, is tied into where the vendor is in the growth of their business. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're just starting out and they're eager to please you, that's one thing. If they're established and they got a little, um, private equity money and now they need to make 20% increase in sales every quarter, <laughs> then they, you know, they're going to pay attention to different partners in those different scenarios. Yep, they are. And, and what we find is, you know, there, there's, a, there's, there's a kind of an underlying philosophy that I've developed over the years that, that I've used as kind of a logical approach to understanding market dynamics and the maturity of individual vendors within those market dynamics. And the idea is when equals how. And what I mean by that is, if it is an early stage of a marketplace where the technology is new, unadopted, untested, unproven, there is one way that you can be successful as a vendor and as a channel partner in those types of environments. If the market is mature and then a new vendor comes in, but the market is already established, right? Like if, if you started a new company today doing 
you know, backup and recovery software. Uh, not a new market segment, well-established, very mature, even a new vendor has to conform to the way the market wants them to succeed. They, they can't behave like a traditional startup in a new market segment because the market rules are already established. You either play by the rules or you get left behind. Well, the way you engage channel partners as a vendor will change from stage to stage as the market matures. As a channel partner, you need to figure out A, all the businesses that I'm in, what stage is the market and how mature is the vendor? And then what do they need to hear from me in order to look at me and go, oh, you look exactly like what I need in order to thrive right now. Then you got two choices, right? Uh, choice number one is if you're really good at like being a later stage volume producing reseller type of a business, cool, be that. Don't, don't try to like, you know, be all things to all people at all stages, figure out what you're good at and then identify the vendors that are also in that stage and heavily invest in them and don't invest in the people that are not appropriately aligned to your value so, proposition. So that sounds like great advice. How do I find that information? Like, how do I know when a vendor is at a stage where what they need are the skills that I have with my clients and my prospects, you know, today. Absolutely. Well, so what, what I will say to people is uh, as, as a strategic thinker, I, I have a set of PowerPoint slides that nobody wants to see all of them, right? The, the depth to which I have overanalyzed this market model and, and understand the dynamics it's, it's fascinating for me with a glass of wine in my hand, but uh, others I think don't necessarily appreciate them. But what I can say that we've learned from all of that model analysis, who is the end user decision maker that actually controls the budget and says yes for the thing that you are selling? If that is somebody in like the CTO strategy, technology, systems development, and like redesigning digital transformation. If that's what you hear, well, that's early stage. And you're going to be selling to executives. You're going to be selling to budgets that don't already exist and have to be invented or reallocated. That's one way of selling, right? If the person who says yes to the thing that you're doing is production line, running a data center or, or servicing the network and the endpoints that are there. The budget is known, the technology is known, and it's a, it's a manager in the IT department who makes those purchase decisions. Radically different strategy and different sales process. Who says yes and controls the actual budget approval will tell you how mature the market is. It'll tell you exactly when you are and then all the job descriptions line up. What does the vendor need to do? What does the partner need to do? And how do we engage with the end user, that actual decision maker in order for all three of us to go, oh yeah, this is a really good idea. I ought to spend my money here. That's, that's the easiest and cleanest way to, to analyze. What we're finding statistically that will that will upset everybody's business strategy right now is that somewhere in the last 12 months, right, different analysts will argue about different times, somewhere in the last 12 months, we crossed the Rubicon. 
where more than 50% of all technology purchase dollars are approved by somebody outside of the IT department, right? Now, part of that is due to the maturing of established technology categories. And it's like, one does not need to be an IT genius to specify the configuration on a laptop, right? And so you don't need to be high-end IT systems analyst in order to spec, well, okay, the sales team needs 50 new laptops. That's probably going to be done by somebody in a purchasing operational environment, and they don't care how that thing is configured. They are not triggered by anything about the technology. They're just looking for convenience and, and compatibility, and they're looking for a, a volume discount, right? Okay, that's one way of selling outside of the IT department. But there are also many other things like cloud, like um, line of business applications, like data analytics and all the emerging stuff around IoT and, and automation. Those are also not decisions that are being made inside the operational side of the IT department. They are being purchased by the VP of marketing, by the VP of customer service, by the operations manager in the warehouse those people are making decisions on their own. Analytics will tell you exactly when you are in those market cycles, but once you identify who's the human who says yes, then you gotta turn around and look at your own business and go, okay, well, who do we actually talk to in the sales process? Uh, if, you, like, if you look in your database of all your customers, all your targets, everybody that you talk to, and you went through the number one point of contact that you have for every one of those companies, who is that human? Well, if that human is inside the IT department, then what you're saying to yourself is voluntarily, we're not even competing for more than 50% of their right. technology spent. So, and how much of that is our own fault as IT providers for not looking to the marketing people and saying, where, what, are, what are you buying? If you're buying websites and Google advertising, let me help you with that. Yeah. Right? But, but that means I got to get out of my comfort zone. See, that's the thing. To answer your question directly, it is 100% our fault for not being willing to adapt and adjust to the new market conditions. Everybody, every cliche you've ever read in a business book will eventually root back into the principle that the only constant is change, right? Everything changes, all the markets mature. I always tease people like, you know, if you got into this business expecting to sell the same stuff today that you did last year, you got into the wrong business. I mean, none of us make money selling dot matrix printers anymore. Hey dude, I got a bunch of 56 K modems. I <laughs> I mean, sell them cheap. I, I could work you guys a deal on all of this green bar paper that I got in my warehouse. Right? Like, <laughs> like there once was a day where that was cutting edge and then the market moved. Not only did it move in terms of technology, but it moved in terms of the stack of technology where we can actually add value, not just in the plumbing and the, the integration, but also into the data layer and then up into the applications layer. But it also changed in terms of the just kind of the business dynamics and what you know the cliche these days is the buyer's journey, right? Uh, how do they actually arrive at a point where they go, wait a minute, that's a good idea. I'm going to give you money for that thing. Well, they, they arrive at that 
differently than they used to, and they are different humans than they used to be, if you recognize that change is happening and you refuse to adapt with it, you know, the, my, my favorite business quote from years and years ago, um, you know, the, um, the basic principle is that change is not mandatory. Then again, neither is survival. Right. Not to be almost out of time. Let me make sure that people know how to get a hold of you. Uh, uh, you uh, unfortunately, Ryan Morris, hard to find on the internet. Carl Polachek, easy to find on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Right? There's many of me. <laughs> the world has shifted dramatically. So, but on, on uh, LinkedIn, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, I am Ryan Morris 303. And that conveniently is also where I'm at on Twitter at Ryan Morris 303. Uh, legacy shout back to my all my days in the Denver marketplace. <laughs> um, and, and will always be still 303. Oh, and, and your little icon is the, the Bronco, right? Yeah, exactly. So, That's yeah. Uh, that's my thing, right? I was born and raised as a Broncos fan, and uh, and I, I will always be, even though I have very strong philosophical differences with the way they're recruiting and, and drafting people these days. So that's, a, <laughs> that's time for a different discussion. But you can also find me, our website is morrismp.com. So morrismp, as in managementpartners.com. Um, that, that's our website. And you know, we're, we're out there. I readily acknowledge and admit I am not somebody who produces a ton of content on social media, but I am there and it's a good way to connect and communicate with me because uh, we, we are always in the industry and figuring things out. And so we're, we're always happy to engage and, and have a conversation with people. Very good. Well, you are very well respected in this industry and in particular as uh, an instructor and a, a teacher. So even though you don't teach a lot of classes per se, uh, you know, you're, you're somebody that people look to and say, oh, you know, I'm going to open my head. Now you need to get to pour stuff in. <laughs> well, and, and see, that's, uh, that's, that, is, that is the best possible thing to, to hear because the way that we've had to adjust our own business, right, over the last few years, we, we, we did finally agree to drink some of our own Kool-Aid here and build a managed services practice inside our own consulting business. You know, like I've been teaching people how to build a managed service practice for 15 years. And I finally decided about five years ago, you know, that's a really good idea. We should apply that to the, <laughs> the world of business management strategy and sales effectiveness. So we do one-on-one -on -one gigs with people on a contract recurring basis. Uh, we have a number of different formats that we engage, but we also do big project work. So uh, we are, we are uh, in the world of vendors about a third of the time. And like I said earlier, we are in the world of solution providers about a third of the time. So we are always happy to engage and see what we can do to help. Very good. And you're going to be, we are literally out of time now, but you're going to be a speaker at the SMB online conference. So people can look for you there. And of course, every week um, on the other podcast. Cool. See, I, I, I don't know if that's entertaining to other people, but it certainly is to us. So exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, 
Please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.